Hello, and welcome into a podcast about a winning football team. This is not just another sports podcast. It is the November 15th edition of it. And once again, we are here talking about a winning football team, your Kansas City Chiefs, Molly Wap, the Las Vegas Raiders. And here to talk about it with me is Christian Amesworth. Christian, how does it feel to be a fan of a team that is leading a division once again? Dude. Honestly, it, it feels incredible. Like, what? How, how else are we supposed to go about this? The Chiefs finally look like the Chiefs. It, it, I mean, it feels like it's 2019. We're back, we're back with a good offensive football team. The defense is playing pretty good. I mean, the opponents we played aren't so great, but, dude, we're winning. We look like a good football team again. Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the things that is super underrated about the Chiefs the last couple of years, if that's possible to say, is the fact that the Chiefs made it look easy for the last couple of years. They were truly dominant. There never felt like a time in the last couple of years that the division was really in question. Yeah, there was a couple of games where it's like, oh, if they lose this game, they could be close. But I mean, you know, we saw all those statistics that came out in the first couple of weeks where the Chiefs were, you know, basically in danger of losing the division and how long it had been but the Chiefs just they've been dominant in the AFC West for so long even going back to the Alex Smith time so it felt really good to get back on top you knew this game was setting up to be even more dramatic as you watch the results across the week come through the Chargers lost to the Vikings the Broncos lost as well it made the game feel even more crucial and you know we were talking about it before the podcast that the Chiefs from who they selected as captains to the fact they came out in their best uniform, the white on white, you could tell this game meant a lot to them too. And um, it showed they came out and laid an ass kicking on the Raiders. And it was nothing else other than that. No. And the Kelsey, the Kelsey meme after the game, I think I got my swagger back just perfectly exemplifies what happened in this game. Mahomes, he did miss a few throws. I, you know, I, I hate to go in there all, you know, without my rose-colored glasses on, but, like, dude, Kelsey was vintage Kelsey. Daryl Williams looked like one of the best running backs in the league and one of the best wide receivers in the league with that catch. Uh, dude, even the defense. The defense came out. Frank Clark looked dominant. Chris Jones looked dominant. Our defense, like, th- there were just so many things about this game where our guys looked like they had – infinite confidence and, and they played like that on Sunday like how, how did you kind of feel it went because to me after that opening drive I felt like it was a landslide like there was no way they were going to catch us my thought is is if I wasn't a Chiefs fan I would have turned that game off a lot sooner than I, re- I actually did that game felt close to us because we have built in anxiety about being a Chiefs fan you know, it was like 24-14, and I was still like, oh, man, like, you know, we really got to score here. That's just kind of our built-in fandom. But this this game was not close. And, you know, you, you mentioned that he missed a couple of throws, and, you know, that's true. But also, you're – I feel like we look for every mistake and point it out and then don't point out all the things that went right for a team. The Chiefs had a lot of things go right for them and still miss some opportunities. This could have, I mean, you talk about the fumbled punt. You talk about how there was a really, really obvious holding call that was missed whenever the Raiders scored their first touchdown to Hunter Renfro. I mean, 
this could have been a 50 burger easily. And here's the thing. It doesn't really matter. I know um, fans of the Ravens and the Bills really love when their teams score 40 or 50 points and mollywop the New York Giants, whatever. But this isn't college football. It doesn't matter if you win by a lot or win by a little. But it was really good to see the Chiefs win something big. But here's the thing, and this is actually probably the opposite of what a lot of people think coming away from this game. A lot of people are all excited. You know, Kelsey got going. And Mahomes threw a lot of touchdowns and Terry Kill was getting touchdowns. But my takeaway is this. You cannot have a blowout without the defense holding the team down. The last two times the Chiefs played the Raiders in 2020, those games were close both times because the Chiefs defense had no answer for that offense. And the Chiefs defense really contained the two biggest factors in that offense. Actually, three biggest factors. Derek Carr has been much, much better at throwing the ball down the field. They generated enough pass rush that that was not an option for him. Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, the running game, while it hasn't been particularly good this year, it has hurt the Chiefs in the past. They contain that. And then they also took away Darren Waller, one of the best tight ends in the game. They controlled the tempo on the defense. They gave up, in my opinion, they gave up seven true points. The other seven points came off of turnover. Other than that, they virtually gave up nothing. They gave up nine yards on third down the whole game. Like every time they got third down, the Raiders total advanced nine yards. The defense is what I am most excited about after that game. Oh, yeah. And going back, I guess I'll go back to the very beginning of what you said. Yeah, I'm not trying to say like, oh, Patrick Mahomes. I'm not trying to point out all of his flaws, but I am saying that like whatever you thought, like, if you thought the, this team, that that was the highest they could go, it's not. Mahomes still missed throws. They scored over 40 po- points, and Mahomes missed two wide-open touchdowns. He missed Tyreek Hill down the boundary, and he missed, oh, who was that? I think it was Byron Pringle crossing the middle of the field. Like, there's still a ways that the Chiefs can improve. Like you said, this could have been a 50-piece. They could They could have dropped 50 on them if they were playing perfectly. Now. Closer to the end, I mean, I guess as it pertains to the defense, dude, I don't know what happened. Melvin Ingram came in here, and I guess, dude, you have any idea what he said in the locker room? Because it has to be like, hey, are you guys tired of getting your asses kicked? You might want to put it in gear. Because, I don't know, whatever he said, this Chiefs pass rush has done a complete 180 in the past three weeks. I mean, we were talking about at the beginning of the season, we have no pass rush. We were getting home with four against a pretty good offensive line. I know they just lost a, a few key players in the offseason, the Raven or the Raiders, I mean. But Jesus Christ, how many times can we get home with four? Spags likes to dial up the def- dial up the blitzes. He didn't have to. He didn't have to at all. We were getting home with four people. So I, I completely agree with you. This defense, for however they did it, I don't know what happened, whether it was just taking Daniel Sorensen off the field keeping Ben Neiman to a relegated role and just letting our younger linebackers play. Whatever happened, this chief, Chiefs defense looks dominant, like at, like top 10 in the league dominant. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing that's exciting about the Chiefs defense is that the things that are going well right now, there's even more room for improvement because, in my opinion, 
Nick Bolton should not be getting out snapped by Anthony Hitchens. He still is. And, you know, that there's room for improvement there. I still think that the pass rush, Melvin Ingram is still only playing about 39% of the snaps. We saw that he can make an impact in the run game as well. There's reason for even more growth on the defense. Um, you know, I'm a little concerned. Dan Swanson got an interception that might result in him playing 100% of the snaps again. Spags is back on his same shit. But Do not even say that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, here's the, here's the thing. This is actually like, honestly, probably my biggest takeaway from the game. The Chiefs, we don't want to acknowledge it because that's not what we as fans like to like to do. But the Chiefs have basically heard every gripe that we have had as a fan base over the last mm, three months and have addressed it. Think about some of the things that we've asked for. We've asked for Dan Sorensen to stop playing so much and Juan Thornhill play. Done. We've asked for the Chiefs to start throwing to the running back more because they desperately needed to get their running backs involved in the pass games. Daryl Williams has over 100 yards receiving. We've asked the Chiefs to stop running so much outside zone because it doesn't match what the running backs do, and they have dominant interior offensive linemen. They've done that. We asked the Chiefs to move Chris Jones back inside. They've done that. Even some of the smaller stuff that haven't been victories yet or will not be victories. We asked the Chiefs to try to do something to address the second wide receiver. They were in the plane for Odell Beckham Jr., and they brought in Josh Gordon. I mean, here's the thing. Not all those things are going to work because that's just the nature of football. But overall, I'm pleased with the fact that the Chiefs have tried to address those things. We asked the Chiefs to address the pass rush, and they brought in Melvin Ingram, and we saw the results of that. Even though Melvin Ingram wasn't on the field all the time, Jaron Reed made an appearance. Now, I, I mean, I – thought I was seeing the ghost of Elvis. I know they were in Vegas, but I thought I was seeing the ghost of Elvis when Jaron Reed made a play. Yeah. And I think it is important that we give the man his props. Jaron Reed was dominant. That, you're, that's a word you're going to hear a lot tonight. Dominant domination. The Jaron Reed got home so many times on that Daniel Sorensen interception. He slapped Derek Carr's arm and made him throw the ball short. Like the dude actually came to play. And like I said, Melvin Ingram coming in, it must have done something to this defensive line. It, he had to have said something to bring it home. Well, it's what, we've, could... always, it's what we've always talked about. Defenses are a weak link system. Copyright that term to Eric Eager at PBF, PFF. But it's not about your best player being great. Offense is like that. If you have the dominant quarterback, a dominant wide receiver, they can elevate the whole squad. But defense is about the weakest link getting found out. And the more depth you have, the better overall talent you have, it matters. The Chiefs secondary is a lot like that. There's no superstar, but there's also no Philip Gaines getting targeted for 153 yards, you know, and that's what Melvin Ingram brings. Melvin Ingram makes Jaron Reed better. He makes Tershawn Wharton better. He makes Mike Dana better because all those pieces have to be accounted for. I absolutely love that take because, like you said, it's, it's a, I don't know if zero sum game is the right way to say it, but basically, like, if you upgrade one defensive end, the entire defensive line gets better because now you can't double Chris Jones and Melvin Ingram and uh, Frank Clark on every single play. There's just not enough people to do it. And then you look on the defensive side or the secondary side as well. You can't, you can't throw to Daniel Sorensen every time he's on the field. If he has a replacement, like if there's somebody in there replacing him, like, oh, now Daniel Sorensen isn't the worst. I don't know. Rashad Fitton is the worst or Charvarius Ward is the worst player out there, which is a completely different story. Like 
one upgrade at each position upgrades all the positions that are that are around it. So yes, I, I will also say Steve Spagnolo, you know, I guess oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh I guess yearly his defenses tend to get better as the years go or as the season goes on. That seems to be the case here as well. And we like to give him a lot of shit about not making the changes when they need to happen. He's made all the changes. You you put it perfectly. He's made every change that the fan base has said, except for the Anthony Hitchens, Nick Bolton thing, which even still to me is kind of like, yeah, I mean, he doesn't really know the defense yet all the way. I could, I could see why he doesn't get more snaps than, than Anthony Hitchens. So at least it's a logical leap, not like Daniel Sorensen playing more than Juan Thornhill, not like Sneed, not or playing all the slot snaps and never playing outside. Like none of that is logical, but he made all the adjustments that we have been clamoring for for the past month or two or three and the defense is all the better for it and I think you have to commend the guy he, he's done what's necessary to make this defense better yeah and you know let, let's switch to the other side of the ball here a little bit when it comes to the offense you know and just to be clear it is way more fun when the Chiefs are like the Chiefs we've always said that the Chiefs are an emotional team they you know they were they're like the they're like the Golden State Warriors. We make that analogy all the time. When Go- when Steph and Clay are draining threes, the Warriors are just they're just different. The swag, the momentum that they can do that they have, they're an unstoppable force. When the Chiefs can make and it wasn't necessarily just the downfield plays because there's this narrative that the Raiders were so stupid and they played 0-2 cover two, they played 0 cover 2. And that they just ran their cover three zone, like the Seahawks scheme that Gus Bradley likes to do. And that the Chiefs just took advantage of a dumb team. And that's, and I was really interested to see if that was going to be the narrative that took over this week. And it kind of already has, even here in Kansas City, which has surprised me a little bit. And again, not a film guy. I'm interested to see some of our guys in town who do break down film to see if they have the same deduction. But even on the broadcast, that the Raiders were playing some cover too. It's just that the Chiefs were gobbling it up on the ground and in the intermediate passing game like they should have. The Chiefs were doing what we've been talking about for a long time. They stayed patient. They took what was there. And then they started going back to that cover three. But also, Gus Bradley, when he was with the Chargers, was about as effective as anyone as shutting down Mahomes. And the Chiefs like took advantage of an opportunity. Yeah, there were some deep chunks, chunk plays but some of that also was just Mahomes playing better and I'll give Seth Kaiser credit over at the athletic he was one of the first people to say hey the Packers game looked really rough but Mahomes is playing better and that was one of his better games it's hard to see because there's a ton of drops and a ton of misfires and penalties that really muddied things up and also by the way the Seahawks just got shut out by the Packers so obviously that is a good defense but Mahomes was playing better in this, you know, he's kind of back on the uptick. It's like buying a stock at the right time. Um, people, some of our film guys started getting on at the right time and realizing that some of these things that were issues, Mahomes' presence in the pocket, his ability to check down, ability to see what teams are doing to it. We knew that the Chiefs offense would overcome this. It would just take some time. And it seems like this week was a big step it towards that. Oh, yeah. And Give it up to Andy Reid and the play calling. Eric Bieniemy as well. I don't know how much of 
that he does. But, dude, running less outside zone. They still ran it a little bit, which, you know, can we can debate about that all night. I don't think they should even have that in the playbook. But they kind of cut out the RPOs. They did a few of them. It wasn't as dominant or it wasn't as uh, prevalent as it has been in weeks past. But they were running plays that were effective against they were playing offense according to the defense. They weren't doing their thing and trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Like they weren't taking deep shots in cover two. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They were going, you're going to play cover two. All right. We're going to throw it to Daryl Williams underneath. Oh, you're going to play cover three. Okay. Well, we got Travis Kelsey in the middle of the field. We can, you know, it was, like I said, it was just such, it was a dominant performance and the confidence of the Chiefs offense and the play calling was like, if you're going to do this, we're going to do this. And we're going to be incredibly effective at it. And Mahomes, like you said, had an incredible game. And he's been trending up for a while now. Now it's time to see if he can, he can do it for the next couple of weeks. Because we got a really tough matchup next week with Dallas. It, it's going to be a good one to watch. I'll just say that. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that I thought made this game work so well for us as Chiefs fans is there was just so many fun things in this game. It just felt like Chiefs football. That pass to Daryl Williams, oh, that was not only was it the play from Mahomes because he started climbing the pocket and I thought, okay, he's going to run for the first down. We haven't seen him run that much lately. And then he just had the, you know, toss it up for Daryl Williams of all people. And then I was still not even sure if, the ball was intercepted or caught. And then for him to go up and moss that dude and stand up and Jonathan, that was the best part. Our undrafted free agent running back just mossed their first round safety, Jonathan Abram. And he stands up and does the two small stuff, just disrespectful. And then um, Nicholas cage slash Legolas slash whatever you want to call Tommy Townsend fires an absolute dime, a bullet to Marcus Kemp of all people. This game was like obscure chiefs that have struck been the whipping boys all year had themselves a day dan Sorensen gets a pick jared reed makes a play marcus kemp tommy townsend i mean it was it was everything that you wanted it was just there was so much fun in this game that made it just by the time the game was over it it's hard to, even if you are a super glass half empty fan it's really hard to sit here and poo poo this game away yeah, and it started off with a left-handed pass to Daryl Williams, too. So, like, dude, this game could not have been more fun if you're a Chiefs fan. Honestly, though, when you said – when you talked about Daryl Williams there, I was sure you were going to go on your Daryl Williams' RB1 soapbox there for a minute, but I'm happy you didn't. I'm glad you showed some restraint. Well, It's actually, nice to see that from you. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Um, <laughs> okay. With So, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is probably going to come back this week. And I'm willing to I'm willing to come to the table with this idea. And here's what I'm willing to come to the table with. Doing it all over again still would have not drafted Clyde Edward Delaire where he was taken. I think that's a reasonable take. Most everyone would agree that there are two or three other running backs they would rather have from that draft that are than Clyde Edward Delaire. Next, I'm also willing to come to the table and say that Clyde Edward Delaire probably would have had more rushing yards on the ground than Daryl Williams would have had in that game and the last couple of games as well. Clyde, again, he does one thing really well, and that is running between the tackles between the 20s. Now, the problem is, is that's not a particularly valuable thing, but I do think that him coming back 
I have some optimism because here's the thing. Daryl Williams is not shifty. He's not particularly fast. He's not particularly, I mean, he breaks some tackles, but he's not, you know, just an absolute animal to bring down. He's just kind of good at everything. If they can get Clyde to literally catch the passes that Daryl Williams caught, um, I don't see a reason why he can't be a huge factor in this offense. Cause I feel like when he gets the ball in his hands in open field, Clyde's pretty shifty and he breaks some tackles and he's probably about as fast as Daryl Williams or maybe a touch faster. So I have some guided or some guarded optimism about Clyde coming back in this offense and going back to the fact that they are going to run hopefully more power with him with the offensive linemen, something that Clyde does well instead of trying to do outside zone. Well, I'll say this. I, I don't know if I 100% agree with you because we saw Jarek McKinnon towards the end of that game with those rushes. He looked really good too. And same thing with Gore. I think both of those guys can do what he does. And I think that they can pass pro better. I think they're better in pass protection. That's one of the reasons why Clyde, in my opinion, and you've stated this as well, is not really a three down running back in the league. And it's, it's not because he can't catch the football. He did that great in college. I mean, he's got soft hands. He puts his hands out, you know, he, he's good at catching the ball away from his body, but for whatever reason, the pass protection side of his game is just not there. And I think that if you kept Daryl Williams in, we'll just say he's RB one and you had Jarek McKinnon and Gore in a rotation with the uh, running snaps. I think we could be just as effective and I'm not saying trade away Clyde Edwards Alaire. I'm not saying that he isn't a valuable player on this team. I just think that his value might not be as high as a first round draft pick. And I know such a hot take. We've only said that a hundred times on the show, but it's just hard for me to see him come back and the running back room be improved. If that makes any sense. Like for sure. He's, he's exactly like a replacement level running back which is what hurts the most because you feel like between the running back tandem that they have going right now with the three without Clyde Edwards-Alaire, they're getting just about the same production. So, I mean, it is what it is. You can't undo the pick, but just kind of a lesson learned. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that really stood out to me in this game. Oh, just, I mean, just again, let's just bring up the fact that we are critical of Brett Veach at times and Here's the thing. We're not going to let every win decide how we view every move. There are still moves that have not been great, but this was just another really good game for Brett Veach's draft class. Joe Tooney, first off, not a draft pick, but a signing played really, really well in this game. Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, absolute bulldogs on the inside. You had, you know, Juan Thornhill still making big plays. You had, um, shoot, who's even me, Cole. Me- yeah. Nicole was doing pretty Nicole well. did good things. Sneed. Um, was yes. Yeah. There we incredible. go. Incredible. Yes. Legereus Sneed, man. He is such a sure tackler. And he's like, I feel like every time he tackles the ball carrier, he does it the right way too. Not even like getting down and breaking down and doing it with his shoulders more than his neck or head, but also like when he tackles player, their momentum goes back rather than forward towards the line of scrimmage. He's such a sure tackler. And it was just another, oh, and also Noah Gray caught a touchdown. You know, I'm not necessarily sure that Noah Gray is going to be the next big thing for the Chiefs offense, but 
you know, that was progress for him, especially when they went back to him a third time after not catching the first two passes that were thrown his way. You felt like, you know, there's a there's potential there. You know, Brett Veach's draft have been up and down. Obviously, his first couple of drafts were rough. But to get what should be an all-pro and a Pro Bowl-level offensive lineman out of a draft, a backup tight end, and a starting linebacker who has done well in certain roles and that's not even counting Willie Gay's really brought a lot of speed to this defense certainly a lot of optimism around um Brett Beach's last couple drafts yeah and I'll say one more thing and then we can move on or or do what else we're going to do Brett Veach has done basically how how do I want to phrase this exactly Brett Veach has done with what Brett Veach has done with fifth and sixth round draft picks is what most GMs would like to do with their first and second round draft picks. Like if you got Creed in the second, or if you got Trey Smith in the second round, incredible. That's great. If you got Sneed in the first round, great. That's, that's a great draft pick. Anybody would tell you if you got Sneed in the first round, that was a good draft pick. And he turned out to be what he was. The difference between Brett Veach and those other guys is he got him in the fifth and sixth round. And like we said, criticism, all criticism goes to Veach for his early round skill position players. I don't like the Mecole pick. I mean, we've saw or we've seen all the wide receivers that have come out even. I mean, we, we don't even have to go into that, but and Clyde Edwards, Alaire, Both not too great picks, but all of his late round draft picks, he always nails. I mean, Mike Dana, even like a guy that can come in and can c- contribute. I think he's leading our team in sacks, or at least he. He was up until this week. So kudos to him. Still have some criticism, though. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, honestly, he's kind of a victim of his own success, right? He's so good at drafting in the later round picks. It makes you wonder, why doesn't he just keep more picks? You know, like he's really done pretty well considering the amount of picks he has. So why keep trading them away for other players and to move up whenever you do so well with the ones you have? It's kind of a little um, like Occam's razor there for sure. All right. Yeah. Well, but, I'm interested to see what he does with these three seventh round picks that we've got in this next draft. I can't yeah, wait I, for the three all stars we get. <laughs> I imagine one of those will be two of those will be packaged to get back into the six for sure. But yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm sure there'll be some way that we convince ourselves that a first round pick needs to be traded this offseason. <laughs> but at this time, I'm just I'll be glad to have a first round pick. Again, it, I know we had one a couple of years ago, but it felt like forever. But we've got all winter to talk about the draft and the spring. Um, let's do game balls. So I'm going to give my game ball to a guy that I think really, really stepped up his game in a time the team needed it. I'm giving mine to Andrew Wiley. Andrew Wiley, look, he was definitely a big part of why the Chiefs could not protect Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. That is 100% a fact. But he, and twice now, he has had to step up a good against good edge rushers as the right tackle, a position that he's not even a natural at, and he has done well. He has, you know, been competitive. He's been fiery. He's provided enough. I'm sure he got away with some holds against Max Crosby. He did against Cam Jordan in New Orleans last year. He stepped up in some big moments, and... Max Crosby absolutely had the potential to be a game wrecker for the Raiders last week or last night. And he was virtually a non-factor. Now the chiefs 
and I, I'll applaud Andy for this. I tweeted this out on Saturday that there was going to need to be a serious talk if Andrew Wiley was left on an island all night, but he wasn't, but he stepped up to the challenge. He, you know, was, he was plan C when it came to right tackle, but he was the right tackle in a game where the Chiefs scored the most points they've scored all year and looked the best they have on all on offense all week. And uh, honor a game ball to Orlando Brown too, who just shut down Yannick Ngakwe, who has been one of the better pass rushers in the league this year. That's been a huge part of what the Raiders have done all year is get pressure with four and just cover. And that was not an option for them last night. Yeah, dude, low-key, really, really get, great take. Love Andrew Wiley, at least what he did last Sunday. So now going into my game ball, I, I have two of them, one on the offense, one on the defense, a little, little cheaty here. Um, on the defense, I think it has to go to somebody that stepped up in a big moment. He's, he's usually not the guy people love. He gets shit on a lot, especially around here. But Daniel Sorensen, man, he got an interception. He made a play, stole the, ball, stole the ball right out of Juan Thornhill's hands. And you know what? We were all the better for it. So Dirty Dan on defense. And then offensively, I'm giving it to a guy. This is a no-brainer. Patrick Mahomes, over 400 yards, five touchdowns. That's pretty good. Okay, it's you know, it's not usually the Mahomes we're used to. I know he could have gone. He maybe could have thrown seven, but it was still a pretty damn good game, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, Daryl Williams was one of the people I thought about as well, as far as players who had a great game. But let's let's move on. Um, We're moving past the Chiefs. Let's talk a little general NFL here. We're going to do a quick segment called Speak Your Truth which is where you're going to say two things that you feel like need to be said about the NFL. This can be anything. This can be about uniforms. This can be about coaches. This can be about players. This is speak your truth. You're going to say two things that just really need to be said. I want to go first. And this one is a little conspiracy theory, but also not so much. My first truth is that the NFL and NFL media has conspired to turn Kyle Shanahan into a good coach, and I do not understand it. Now, this might age terribly, because right now the 49ers are beating the Rams on Monday Night Football, but that's a division game. Kyle Shanahan has had one good season as the 49ers head coach. He was a part of one of the biggest disasters in the Super Bowl. And no, I'm not talking about the 49ers Chiefs. I'm talking about when he was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons in the famous 28-3 game. He runs a scheme that can plug any running back into it and do well, and yet they continue to invest in running backs like Jarek McKinnon and Trey Sermon to promptly not play them. He gets sideways with players. They just cut one of their third-round pick wide receivers. The name's escaping me right now. They might as well cut Brandon Ayuk the way that they treat him anymore after having a great rookie year. They continually they draft this player in Trey Lance to try to get him to sit behind Jimmy G, and then he comes in and plays, doesn't play well due to injury. He gets injured. They swing back and forth between him and Jimmy G, and this offense has talent all over it, they perennially underachieve. I don't know if it's because he's young and he's good. I mean, young-ish for an NFL head coach. He's young. He's good looking. If people really just want football to be back in the Bay. And a lot of this can also be said ditto for the Rams, the team that they're playing. 
but man, I, I do not get what the deal is with Kyle Shanahan, but if he was the football coach, if like he was the coach of the Colt, if he was the head coach of the Colts, I feel like he would not be there anymore or that he would be on the hot seat at least. And that's the thing. People just talk about his job. Like it's completely safe and there's no real, Oh, why would Kyle Shanahan be on the hot seat? He went to a Super Bowl three years ago. Almost. I just don't get it. Honestly, really, really good. Hate Kyle Shanahan. I don't know why he gets all the praise that he gets, but if I'm speaking my truth, I'm saying that Joseph Burrow is a top three quarterback in the AFC. I think he's better than Lamar. I think he's better than, oh, who's the Bills quarterback? Josh Allen. I think that he's better than 90% of the quarterbacks in the league. I think that he has a terrible offensive line, a terrible head coach, and a defense that can't get the other team off the field. Joe Burrow has quietly made one of the best quarterback wide receiver connections work with him and Jamar Chase, who's a rookie. Like, yeah, they played together in college. We've seen plenty of players come to the NFL and play like dog shit their first couple of years. Okay, so Joe Burrow, being as good of a, as great of a leader and quarterback as he is, changed that complete, changed the organization completely for the Bengals. I think that he is one of the best quarterbacks in the AFC. He's just so incredibly talented, gets no love. You never hear about him in the national media. I think he's better than Lamar. That's pretty strong. Um, you know, I definitely think that Lamar. <laughs> Sorry, I just saw something on Twitter. So funny. I, I, I we're gonna come back to the Joe Burrow thing, but so the Ram, <laughs> the Rams are down twenty-one to seven in the second quarter, and I just saw it was like one of those NFL meme accounts, but they made a graphic that looks like very realistic, and it says breaking Odell Beckham request a trade from the LA Rams, and <laughs> it, it's very funny. It, it's I don't know why, but I, I'm laughing. Um. Yeah, so Joe Burrow, top three QB in the AFC. The Josh Allen's pretty strong. The better than Josh Allen. That's that's a little rich for my taste, but it's definitely possible. I think the thing about the Bengals is that the they've given him a lot of weapons. And you can say that about Josh Allen as well, not so much Lamar Jackson. But there's definitely – we could be having that conversation in a year or two. The one thing that I'll say about Joe Burrow that – he what he provides on offense he's very kind of one-dimensional he's a little bit more of a runner than we like to think he is but he's definitely that traditional pocket passer so I think that as long as he can he's just thrown a lot of interceptions this year is that one thing he's puts the ball in harm's way more than people want to give him credit for um that's the one downside to him but I mean it's definitely possible in the next year or two definitely possible I just think that, you know, he makes some bad decisions, right? But Mahomes probably should have had two interceptions last night. They just didn't fall through. I mean, that Casey Hayward Jr. big dropped interception. I think that his stats might not accurately reflect how good of a quarterback he is, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I do agree. And, you know, it was about time Mahomes had some positive interception luck. It felt like every ball that got bounced up was caught for several weeks there. So, you know, you know, the flip a coin, that's the analogy we use. And it's about time for it to flip to the other side. Um, so my other truth 
And this one's probably like the most highly regarded, um, most highly regarded conversation that Chiefs fans, or not even Chiefs fans, just any fan base has that's not, that does not have this player. I am convinced that, and it's not a NFL is rigged thing. I'm just convinced that Tom Brady has done something in life, like sold his soul to the devil, something like that, that this man just has the greatest luck of all time. If you don't follow Scott Kakismar Kakismar on Twitter, you need to follow him. Great follow. He's a very analytical guy. He is all over the Tom Brady. Um, He's very close to Barry McCockner, but Scott Kakismar is actually like a true NFL writer. But he is all over that Tom Brady has just always lived the most charmed life as a player. And people treat him going to the Bucs like he took this guard, like he took the Jets and turned them into a Super Bowl contender. The the Bucks went eight and eight with Jameis Winston throwing 30 interceptions. That and also side note, people compare the Rams super team because you know, whenever they signed OBJ, I said, Wow, all this just to lose to Tom Brady. And people said, Well, Brady's on a super team too. No, here's my opinion. A super team is constructed through free agency and trades. The Bucks might quote unquote be a super team, but a large majority of what makes that team great has been built through the draft. Tom Brady had the perfect situation where he got to pick a team. And yes, you know what? Like he has made that team definitively better. But the Bucs were a sleeping giant just waiting for good quarterback play. And they finally got it and they got a good head coach and Bruce Arians. But I, the, I could have swore they were going to win against the Washington football team because the minute that they go down by like two touchdowns, Terry McLaurin heads to the locker room and then Chase Young tears his ACL. It's like, my God, dude, how is this even possible? This guy has this kind of luck. He goes to the AFC South, which has been a pretty good conference, a division for a couple of years. Cam leaves and goes to the Patriots, you know, a good quarterback. Drew Brees gets hurt the first season, play, barely plays, and is washed when he does play. Jameis Winston tears his ACL. The Panthers can't find a single quarterback and subsequently bring back Cam Newton after, you know, going through Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold. It's like all the, and then, oh, by the way, like the minute he leaves the AFC East, freaking Josh Allen starts becoming a good quarterback. It, it's just, it's uncanny, the luck that this man has. He's like, you know, you see this all the time, the amount of seasons that he's played with a top 10 defense and the amount of times that other players have had a top 10 defense, like he's had like three or four seasons. Now this year might be one of them that he's not had a top 10 defense. I don't know what this dude has done. I, I truly don't understand it, but he has lived a charmed life. He is a great quarterback. He's the greatest player in NFL history. It's not particularly close, but I'll be damned if I don't say that half of it was luck. Gross. Can't believe you just said that. It's completely but, true. I mean, like, here's the thing. Okay, he you don't have the, to say it. He's I got know the, that. Everybody knows that. He's got that. the first, like, two or three Super Bowls that he was a passenger in a time when quarterback play was ridiculously low in the NFL. Like, I, there was a story that was told on um, one of the podcasts that PFF does where literally back when Jim Harbaugh was a coach in the NFL – he was joking about like, what do you want me to do for quarterback? Start someone like Tom Brady and like the room broke out in laughter because he was such a like mediocre quarterback. And then he rounds into form whenever the Patriots have a truly great roster. He said one of the best head coaches. I mean, look, I'm not saying like 
you know, they say success is when talent meets or preparation meets opportunity. Tom Brady is, he does not need more accolades. He is a fantastic player. He has done so much. He is, you know, he is ageless. He's timeless. He's all those things. But like I said, I'll be damned. Like, here's the thing. Tom Brady could have like three Super Bowls and gone to five and still like all those things be true. Just like Peyton Manning. It's just the sheer number and volume. Like, ah, man, I just, there's a lot of fortune that has happened in that run. Oh, yeah. And I 100% agree with the quarterbackless Bucks there. If Kirk Cousins went to the Bucks, they'd be like a 10 and 5 team or a 10 and 16, 10 and 17 this year. Like, they are loaded. They just needed Jameis Winston to stop throwing the other team the football, and they were going to be great. So, anyway, so I'll move on to my last truth. And if I'm speaking my truth, I don't know why, and this is going to be a little controversial, I don't know why the NFL media, ESPN, Fox included, are talking about Deshaun Watson like he's going to come back and play football. Deshaun Watson has played his last down in the NFL, and I'm 100% convinced. If you look at all of the evidence stacked against him, the FBI is involved. There, there are 23 allegations. I think 21 of them are legal, not, not just civil lawsuits, but legal lawsuits. I don't know why we are giving this dude airtime. I understand that everybody deserves their day in court, and if he goes into court and it's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, well, if it's not proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's guilty of all of these or even a single one of them, then yes, I will get on my knees and beg for forgiveness from Deshaun Watson. I don't think that's going to be the case. And I don't know why we keep giving him airtime. Like he's going to be traded to the dolphins in this off season and they're going to, he's just going to come back and everything's going to be fine. There's no way that Deshaun Watson plays another snap in the NFL. And I don't know why we keep treating him like he's going to. Yeah, that, that, that's a hard one. I mean, to answer your first question about why do we keep talking about it, it's because if he is cleared, it's one of the most like dramatic things that can happen in the NFL. A top five quarterback on the move to another team being a free agent. I mean, his free agency, well, not free agency, but trade market could be similar to the Peyton Manning situation and Tom Brady's. I mean, it, it's one of the things that rarely happens in the NFL, similar to like, you know, a couple summers ago when LeBron went to the Lakers. And I mean, here's the thing. You're completely right. And we've talked about it here. Only one person has to be right. You know, there's 22. Yep. Only one has to be right. Now, what's what's curious to me is, and we saw this a little bit in the Tyreek Hill investigation as well. Just because you are not convicted or charged does not mean a crime was not committed. It just means that they can't prove it, right? The DA, uh, I believe of Johnson County, came out and said, we believe a crime has been committed, but there's not enough evidence to go forward with charges. That was true in the Tyree Kill situation. That may be true here. No matter what, whatever team brings Deshaun Watson in, it's gross. Like the, there's, there's too much smoke not to be a fire. There, you know, there's just, even if he is cleared, he is never going to shake that. You want to know how I know that? Because Tyreek Hill has never been charged with any form of child abuse. And Fox News, yes, that Fox News, not Fox 4, like national Fox News is putting graphics up on their TV saying that Tyreek Hill was charged with child abuse. And that's not true. That's literally not true. But the legend, when the, you know, when fiction becomes 
when uh, the truth becomes legend, print the legend or whatever the saying is. At this point, no matter what happens, Deshaun Watson is always going to be a sexual deviant in most people's yep. mind. Well, and, and Ben Ben never shook the stereotype either. There's still memes going on about Ben and consent. So, yeah, like, and I mean, you know, it, it just it just is what it is. All I can say is I'm glad because a couple of years ago, if this would have been a different time in Chiefs football, we would have been sitting here talking about trading for Deshaun Watson. And we don't have to worry about that anymore. And I'm just happy for it. Yeah, thank God for Mahomes. Absolutely. All right, take four. NFL, we take our four games, we pick the winner, and why we think it's interesting. I will go first. There's some decent games on the schedule here. The first one I'm going to go with, we're going to go back to the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm going to go Bengals Raiders. This game has some interesting AFC implications. These teams a couple of weeks ago were division leaders who were looking to be shoe-ins for the playoffs, and now they're two teams fighting for their lives. This game has serious AFC wildcard implications. Um, I'm, you know, this is to me going to be the game that decides if the Raiders are dead or not. You know, they lost to the Giants, East Coast, West Coast, Damon Arnett, Henry Ruggs, et cetera, et cetera. Lose to the Chiefs. There's no shame, shame in that. The Chiefs were a sleeping giant. But if they lose to the Bengals here after the Bengals have kind of had a rough little go of it, Bengals are coming off a bye. The Raiders are at home, back-to-back games in Vegas. I think you can put a, a nail in the Raiders' coffin as far as a team. But they get back on track. It could keep pressure on the Chiefs. And the Chiefs are obviously playing a big game against the Cowboys. In this game, I'm going to take the Bengals off of a bye. I think that they get Joe Mixon going in this game. I think that they get a big bomb to Jamar Chase. I think that defense refines its form a little bit after struggling the last couple of weeks. I'll take the Bengals to win. So for my first game, I'm going to keep it in the AFC. We got the Colts at the Bills. I think the Bills should be on upset alert. Carson Wentz has slowly been playing a very conserv- well, conservative for him style of football. He's not throwing the football away. The Colts have a good roster. They're great defensively. Michael Pittman Jr. is a monster at wide receiver. Couldn't have ta- could have taken him in the draft. Chose CEH instead. Not sad about it, I promise. Um, I think that the Colts win this game. And I know the Bills are favorites. I know they're playing really well. I think Josh Allen hasn't played up to par this year. He's obviously not the same as he was last year. We expected some regression. I think that that follows him into this game. And I think the Bills lose to the Colts on Sunday. Not a bad, not a bad pick that, um, you know, the Colts are just one of those salty teams. They're just, they win games that you don't expect them to win and they almost lose games. That they should, you know, they're, they're just one of those teams. Um, let's see here. Oh, this one excites me in a weird way. Follow me on this. Okay. I am a big believer in the Baker Mayfield cycle, Baker Mayfield cycle. It is all about just a a redundancy that exists. And the Baker Mayfield cycle starts like this play like shit gets criticized by the media, creates an underdog mentality. They beat an inferior opponent. They call out any doubters, and then they play like shit. It goes like this. OBJ cut, criticized by the media, creates an underdog mentality. The, then they beat the Bengals. And then, oh, we're better off without OBJ. 
you know, everyone's all over it. The Bing, the Browns are back to being Super Bowl contenders. Then he throws for 73 yards and a 45 to seven loss where he gets hurt and doesn't get put back in the game because he's got a bruised ego against the Patriots. Plays like shit. But then this week he'll be criticized by the media. And then guess what? They get to play the Lions who are probably going to be without Jared Goff, who looks in, like he might miss this game after an ankle or knee injury. And guess what time it is? Call out the doubters after beating an inferior opponent. We'll just keep going around the cycle. I know that it's stupid because this game probably will be a blowout, but it is just so funny to see the cycle happen and for it to repeat itself again. And it's just, it's going to be one hilarious to see Two, especially when everyone falls for it all the time. This cycle has happened like three times this season. Yeah. And I'm familiar with the memes. They are incredibly funny. Baker Mayfield and the Browns follow that cycle every couple of weeks. It, it is incredibly funny to watch, but I don't know if I'll be tuning into that game. I, I mean, here's the thing. The Browns are telling you exactly what they think of Baker Mayfield. They signed two offensive guards to huge deals like a week or two apart. Everyone is getting paid besides Baker Mayfield. They are either tagging him or trading him. I, I Or drafting I not, a rookie quarterback. Yeah, I which mean, is really not an appealing activity this year. Um, I mean, they're a especially team that, not this year. Yeah. Yeah. They're a team that makes me wonder a little bit about some of the veterans that could be on the move. I mean, man, if you're the Browns, what do you have to do to start thinking about Russell Wilson? If he's, if he's on the move, I mean, would this or Aaron Rodgers? Rogers. Yeah. Aaron Rod- I mean, this could be exactly like the Bucks situation where they get a veteran all time, great quarterback onto a loaded roster for, I don't want to say almost mo- no money, but below market value. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but there's Baker Mayfield cannot stop you from going and getting a high-level quarterback. I wrote about this a couple weeks ago, by the way. Um, but yeah, I'll you know obviously pick the Browns to win this game, but I'm excited for the Baker Mayfield cycle to meet to achieve its next step. What about you? Yep. So my last game, it's a pretty good AFC team against one of my favorite NFC teams. It's the Ravens versus the Bears, or Ravens at the Bears, I should say. I think Justin Fields pulls this off. The Ravens are looking awful. Lamar, I mean, they've already gone through so many injuries. Lamar is not throwing the ball as well as he has in the past. Go figure. I mean, it's not like we knew that too over the past couple of years. That that has come to everybody's attention. He is not good at throwing the football, or at least as good as some of the other quarterbacks in the AFC. I think Justin Fields, he, obviously he keeps playing better. He's, he's getting a tick up, getting another tick up. Khalil Mack on the defense is a monster. They just lost, what is it, Ronnie Stanley, their left tackle, the Ravens. It's going to be a good matchup. I, I Honestly, I would sit down and watch this entire game from beginning to end, and it'll be all the better when the Bears crush the Ravens. So and get, get the Chiefs another spot up in the AFC or at least keep the Ravens down. We don't have to worry about them. Yeah, that would definitely uh, definitely be good business for the Chiefs, for the Ravens to lose. All right, last game, of course, we talk about the Chiefs' next upcoming game. It's Chiefs-Cowboys. All the starter shoes, jean, uh, jean shorts, and neck tattoos will be out at Arrowhead Stadium cheering on them boys. Um, it'll be an exciting time for all the people who don't season their food and call it barbecue. It's a Cowboys game at Arrowhead Stadium. Um, I am 
actually feeling oddly confident about this game. Here's why. There's this notion that the Cowboys defense is fixed and that it's better and that there's they're a good defensive team now. And that is just largely a false narrative. The Cowboys are still one of the league leaders in yards per play. They give up big chunk plays. Oh, oh, but Trayvon Diggs got lots of interceptions, though. Yeah, and he also is cooked regularly because of the chances he takes as a defender. They have mainly feasted on bad teams that they have taken advantage of. Um, you know, they lost to the Bucks. They beat the Chargers 2017. That's probably their best win. Lost to the, they beat the Eagles. They beat the Panthers when it was Sam Darnold beat the Giants. The Patriots game is also probably their other best game. Mac Jones, I think we're seeing, is just growing and growing as a quarterback. They beat the Vikings. They got destroyed by the Broncos. And then they beat the Falcons. Look, I, I think that the Cowboys are a good team. And I even picked this game, wrote this game down as a loss at the beginning of the year. So I can completely see it. But this notion that the Cowboys defense is good, Micah Parsons is good. He's going to be, he's going to make some plays on Sunday. I have no doubt, but they're without Randy Gregory. Demarcus Lawrence isn't coming back. I expect the Chiefs offensive line to really road grade this defense and create some big holes. Clyde Edwards Alaire is going to be back. So we can get all excited about that. First round running back, we're going to nail that value to the table, baby. So I'm excited. I think that this game is going to come down truly to who has the ball last. The one thing that concerns me as far as a Chiefs fan goes for this game is the, the Cowboys just have enough offensive weapons that for a lot of the times the Chiefs have shut down good wide receiver course like the Bills. They've done a really good job of containing like Stephon Diggs. It's always that fourth or fifth option that ends up killing the Chiefs. You know, we saw um, the tight end be a big factor in the Bills game um, with Dan Swanson. Tony Pollard, Zeke, it's really easy to forget about those guys. Ezekiel Elliott gets way too much ridicule. I think he's still a good back. Tony Pollard's a good back. Dalton Schultz is a pretty good tight end for the Cowboys. The only thing is Dak Prescott is a good quarterback, not a great quarterback. I think that if the Chiefs can get that pass rush going, hopefully they can really limit his options. But CeeDee Lamb, Mari Cooper, Michael Gallup, those guys are going to make plays too. Yeah, and make no mistake, Dak Prescott is not Derek Carr, okay? He's not going to give you two interceptions this game. He's not going to throw it up wildly. The defense is going to regress a bit. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to get 40 points hung on them, but I think 25, 27, maybe maybe even 30, I don't think that's, that's too bad. I mean, especially considering what it's going to be. I do see the Chiefs coming out and, and making another statement. Now, if I was a pessimist or a realist, depending on how you look at this, I would say that the Chiefs have only really had one good offensive game in the past couple of months. So they are going to have to repli- replicate that. Mahomes is going to have to come out, make another statement, and Andy Reid is going to have to take what the defense gives him. Now, are they capable of doing that? Absolutely. We just saw them do it against an AFC rival in a, an extremely meaningful game. Will they do it? You know, we'll see. And like you said, plus Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So there you go. I think the Chiefs still win it. I don't think it's going to be anything absurd. I I could see maybe 35-27 Chiefs. I I do think that that defense is a little better than they're given credit for, at least for the Cowboys. Trayvon Diggs, though, make no mistake, 
he is as up and down as Daniel Sorensen is. Like he obviously has a higher higher floor and a higher ceiling. He makes more plays on a regular basis, but he is either getting cooked and there's a highlight. I mean, these are the Trayvon Diggs highlights. It's him getting cooked for a hundred yard touchdown or him making some crazy interception. So as long as Mahomes doesn't put it somewhere where, you know, he could potentially make a good play on it, we can take advantage of that matchup. So Chiefs 35, uh, Cowboys 27. Chiefs obviously win. Yeah, I'm going to go – man, I'm going to go close to that. I'm going to go Chiefs 41, Cowboys 39. I think it's a field goal game. I think Oof. it's right right on the spread. There's just too many options, man. And, and you're exactly right with the Trayvon Diggs. I mean, he's the type of guy that will try to make an interception and miss, and the Chiefs will score a touchdown, and then the next play he'll make a crazy pick. Um, but I, this game is as exciting as this last game was against the Raiders. This game is equally exciting, but I really like the Chiefs' schedule after this. I feel like they've got, man, if they, if they win this game, I'm tempted to say they win out. It, it'll be yeah. tough. That Thursday night game against the Chargers will be tough. Two games against the Broncos, who are a good team, not a great team, but I, I could see it. Yeah, and just before we move on from this, you – didn't you say, I can't remember if it was you or not. Didn't you say that Trayvon Diggs is literally Marcus Peters? Oh, like yeah. he's yeah, either that, making some crazy interception or getting cooked. That has to be the comp for him, right? I, yeah. I'm not, I haven't watched him enough to say how his run defense is because Marcus Peters would like Olay the shit out of any running back who was, had a head of steam of him. Just get yeah. out of the way for him. He made some business decisions for sure. But I mean, and here to be clear, Marcus, Pe- I would have Marcus Peters back on the Chiefs tomorrow. I know a lot of people would not, but the dude made plays. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things that at times it can be a backbreaker and at sometimes it can be a game changer. I mean, he, I remember they were playing Carolina back in 2016. Cam Newton was the quarterback after they went to the Super Bowl and he literally just ripped the ball out of their wide receiver's hands. And at the end of the game, and basically ended their game-winning drive that way. Yeah. Well, the, Trayvon Diggs is doing the same thing this year. Like, he's making crazy acrobatic catches. He's making plays on the ground. I mean, you saw him. He's kind of like oh, – this is going to be ridiculous, but he's kind of like and, – and go with me here a little bit – Jalen Ramsey in his run defense. He, he is very athletic. He does put his head down, put his shoulder into the back of, of some running back coming around to the edge and – and tackle him to the ground. So he's not afraid of contact like Marcus Peters was. He is definitely super up and down, and he's even a little bit emotional like Marcus was. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe Ty- or maybe Kelsey can get inside of his head and they can go off unnecessary roughness penalty or something like that. We'll see. We'll see. We will see. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you listening to the podcast as always. Um, make sure you are subscribing to the Arrowhead live feed. We've got lots of good stuff coming up for you guys on as far as writing goes as well. Um, you can follow me at, at Price A. Carter. You can follow Christian at C Breezy underscore edits. We appreciate you guys listening. And as always, thanks for listening to Not Just Another Sports Podcast. Yeah, thanks, guys. Go Chiefs. <laughs>